But I'd like you to open your Bible to the book of Acts. This morning, Acts chapter 20. I was recently thinking about reflecting back over the years in our church here, just various things, messages, incidents, problems, and just times. And, you know, God brings strange things to your mind. I remember a couple of individuals used to be here. They're not now, but they used to fall asleep every Sunday. It didn't matter how long they'd slept on Saturday night into Sunday morning or how rested they were before they got here. When they got here, they fell asleep. I don't remember anybody else doing that. I've seen children fall asleep, and I know on Wednesday nights there's been times and you work all day and it's been hot out and it's cool in here or it's been cold out and it's warm in here. And, and it's sometimes, I know that it's hard to stay awake. And uh, I remember we had a guest preacher here once and I was sitting down here and I, you know, I never get sleepy in the evening like this, but boy, I thought that, I mean, I thought now I know what they're going through. It really wasn't anything with the content of the message. You know, I'm not a victim. It was me. I mean, I was just not hanging in there as I did, but I mean, I was fighting it. And so thinking about that, I want you to look at Acts chapter 20. Let's begin in verse 7. Because this turns out well, it's a humorous story. If it hadn't have turned out well, it would have been a tragedy. But it turned out well, verse 7, and upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Wow. What time do you eat supper? Because after supper, he started preaching, and he preached until midnight. And while he was preaching, half the congregation got up and went home. <laughs> no, I added that, didn't I? In verse 8, and there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together, apparently on the second floor uh, upstairs, upper room. There sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being taken into a deep sleep. Now, this fellow was, had a 10 going on. I mean, he probably had a like that. It says he was sitting in a window, apparently. He sunk down with deep sleep, it says, and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him, and said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. And when, therefore, he was come up again, and they had broken bread again, and eaten, and talked a long while, even until the break of day, so he departed. So Paul not only went down and laid on this fellow and got him, you know, healed and, and recovered, but he went back to preaching again and preached the daylight. Now, see, you all got it made. <laughs> and it is a funny story. I mean, as far as... You know, the preacher is preaching and somebody's sitting up there in the window and he's fighting it and finally he just gives up and goes into a deep sleep and just falls out wherever he fell. I don't know how he fell. I don't know if he fell inside, outside. He must have fallen outside. And he fell maybe 30 feet if it was three floors and maybe 20, 25 feet if it was two floors. That's a long fall, especially when you don't even know you're falling, but you know you landed. And there he was, and everybody was scared, probably looked dead. I mean, you would assume he was gravely injured anyway. So Paul went down and fell up on him, whatever that meant. And, and the man recovered, and they gave him something to eat. And when everybody was back to normal, Paul went back and started preaching again. Paul had a vast amount of knowledge. And he could tell the Bible story, Bible details, intricate things about the Christian life, the ways of God. He could talk about it all day long because here he talked about it all night long. And this fellow just got sleepy. Now, there's a lot of reasons he could have gotten sleepy. He might have been tired when he came to church. Maybe he worked hard that particular day. It was the first day of the week, so chances are it wasn't that. But, I mean, there are people who do on Sundays, and they come to church and are tired. Or it could have been a long sermon. Apparently, it was pretty long. From, say, 6 o'clock evening meal till midnight, that's six hours of one sermon. Now, I spoke six hours once at a Catholic 
community up in Owensboro, Kentucky, but we took two breaks. I remember being refreshed all the time, just wanted to get back into it because these people didn't mind me being there for one thing, and they were listening to everything you said, and it was so easy to teach. They were just sort of, we want more, give us more, and it just came. It just came. But sometimes people, I think, get sleepy maybe because they're ill. Maybe they're going through something or they don't feel good when they got to church. That can happen. And they might have not felt well and just kind of started, you know. Or maybe the seats were too soft up in wherever he was sitting. Maybe it was too comfortable and he sat there and said, oh, man, and went to sleep. You know, sometimes a mother and a baby, she doesn't get a lot of sleep. And uh, babies are very carnal and inconsiderate. And so... Maybe she didn't get a lot of sleep. And I know sometimes, I know this, I know that sometimes it's very hard to really concentrate, to really stay awake because of just being drowsy, just in that state of stupor. I remember once in my life, it's happened more than once, but one time very significant, I was coming back from a, a meeting in Arkansas, and as I was coming across the Tennessee border into Memphis, 19... 75. And I remember I was trying to get home. It was early and and I was driving and I remember going to sleep, coming across that bridge. Now, as far as I know, my eyes were open and I was coming across the bridge and I was out and I woke up. I mean, I woke up and I was still in my lane partway across the bridge and that frightened me. So I still remember this why I'm telling you. I mean, it absolutely frightened me that this can actually happen that you really can have your eyes open, be in good health, and fall asleep and get hurt. Now, that being said, what about spiritual drowsiness? Is it possible in a similar sense, only in a spiritual sense, to be spiritually like that, like people are naturally? Can you be like that spiritually? Can you be in good health, alert, good night's sleep, doing well, and yet, assemble in that once-a-week meeting on Sunday and be spiritually drowsy. Well, if you can, we need to examine it because we don't want that to happen. I don't want it to happen to me. I want to title my message this morning, Dissecting Spiritual Slumber. Dissecting Spiritual Slumber. I want to look at three things about it. First of all, the, the warning in Scripture about slumber And secondly, similar but not exactly the same, the danger that we'll have if we are spiritually slumbering or not really awake and alert, not being watchful but sort of uh, drowsy spiritually, things going on we're really not paying attention to and we're going to be affected by it, but we don't know that because we're like that spiritually. And then the third thing is the cure, the cure for this. Now, the cure is offered, and I trust that all that hear it, if they see their need for it, will partake of it. But spiritual drowsiness, spiritual slumbering is a dangerous thing. Let's look, first of all, at the warning in Scripture. The writer of Hebrews said this. He said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, you remember that? Neglect means to not count it to be that big a deal or all that important. You know, we know it's in the Bible. Yes, 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 yes. And it, yeah, I know. And, and, and that's God breathed. Yeah. But it's not something that you'd latch on to. Maybe it's one of those sermons when you know it's right. You can't debate that. But you're not really paying attention like a drowsy person would. I can assure you that the couple of individuals that I mentioned earlier, I guarantee you they got nothing out of what was said. How could they? But that's the next point. How could you? How could you just go and give in to that thing that robs you and is going to keep you from having any weapons to fight with How could you know that and then not pay attention or fight that thing and overcome it? Well, we've said, I don't know how they wouldn't. Well, they didn't know to do that. 
they were here because maybe their family was here, or the wife was here, or maybe they just wanted to be in church every week. I don't know. But it was doing them no good because of this spirit of slumber, this drowsy spirit. If we neglect all that God has for us, we're in real trouble. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's read a few verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, peace and save, this is the message that's being proclaimed, the prominent message of that hour. Listen to this. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then cometh destruction then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Let me ask you a question. Now, don't answer. Just think about it. Who will not escape in the end? Just hold it right there. Let's go on. Verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. But you are all children of light. And the children of the day, we are not of the night nor of darkness. These things are not, in other words, hid from us. Therefore, verse 6, knowing that we've been warned about the things that are coming, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. See, we're not supposed to go to bed at night. Now, how many of you know that's not what he's talking about? He's talking about spiritual alertness here. It's not a time for being drowsy and not paying attention or missing the moment or not partaking of the hour of a time when a special specific word comes to you about tomorrow or about the things that are coming. Don't miss that. Stay awake. Realize what's going on. Who's behind all this drowsiness. Verse 7, for they that sleep, sleep at night, and they that are drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, praise God, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So you get the sense here of, of a contrast. Darkness and light, very obvious. People in the light can see. People in the darkness can't. But people in the light want to see. People in the darkness apparently don't want to see. Or some chose darkness. And others see the light and they need the light. They want the light, so they choose light. And then you got those who are asleep and those who are staying awake. Those who are watching and praying and those who are just not seeing the big deal about all of this. You get these two pictures here, especially as we come to the end times and the last days, that there will be those who want to be ready and who know they must be, and there are those who just assume that they will be, and yeah, I'll be all right. I mean, I've been in church all my life, and that type of thing. And they're not really paying attention to what's being said. I believe the closer we get to the end, the more God adds detail to our preparation. Specific things, the little things that he wants us to be aware of and to do. Because he said the day is coming. He said, don't be like those that are in the dark and miss everything that's going on. Peter wrote it like this in 1 Peter 4. He said, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. That is, the closer we get to the end, the more alert we should be, not only that this is the end and the signs that we are watching and the events in the world that we're hearing about and seeing, all of this has been prophesied that this is what's going to happen at the end. So if you believe that, if you're aware of that, pay attention to everything going on. Don't let the moment slip. 
because we're going to have to deal with all of this, especially the end. I'm not into politics and all of that, but I do know that the political world can give us clues as to what's going on in the world that God said would be signs of the last days from lovers of their own selves to fathers hating their dads, dads, fathers, sons, mothers, turning in each other, betrayal. We're there. We're there now. I mean, just in little bits and little pieces. You need to pay attention. Now, while we're there, I want you to also look in Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, because one of the reasons we have to be sober and alert is because the Bible describes that we are constantly in warfare. There's no time that we're not in a war. There is no time the devil does not go about like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. There's no point in life that you have halftime or recess. There's no pause in life. Every day you live, you have to deal with something. And every day the devil would love nothing more than to gain access to your life and your will so that you choose the wrong things in your life. If you choose wrong, you'll do wrong. And that's what he does to take you captive at his will. Now, in Luke chapter 21 and verse 34 through 36, this is what Jesus says. What a warning this is. 21:34 And take heed to yourselves lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life so that that day come upon you unawares that's the day that Paul was describing in 1 Thessalonians 5 the day of the Lord it is coming for as a snare shall it come upon all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. You watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. That's been in there for 1,000, 2,000 years, those very words. It's the words of Jesus telling us about the end. First, he warns us. He said, you make sure in this busy economical time in people's lives and everybody's getting more and having more and doing more and going more and buying and selling and all of that. You make sure that your life isn't overcharged with food and drink and partying all of that over drunkenness, I wouldn't think that would be a problem with any of you. I'd be very disappointed if there was a problem with drunkenness here. I think that'd be terrible. I think it'd be terrible if your life was all about having fun, going places and doing things and partying and, and wow. That would be disappointing too because that describes what people will be doing in the last days. Marrying, giving in marriage, doing this, doing that, without regard for the word that God said, like in the days of Noah. Better get ready. It's going to rain. It didn't rain for 120 years. But he was as sincere on the first day as he was on the 120th year. It's going to rain. The world's going to end. It's going to be covered with water. Oh, right. Right. What church you go to? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. What's the word say? God gave me a word. Well, who are you that anybody should listen to you? What have you done that makes you so necessary to hear? What have you accomplished that everybody should look to you for some kind of special guidance from the Lord? No, I'm nothing. I'm a nobody and I've done nothing, but I was approached by the Lord to tell you this. They laughed him to scorn. You know, Jeremiah was a man like that. He'd never be elected anything. Nobody really believed him. I'm talking about a nation that had a man that was inspired as much as a prophet probably could be. And nobody believed him. He told them the absolute truth, and they did their level best to kill a the man. They laughed him to scorn. 
They persecuted him because he told them the truth. So we're living in that day in which we're warned. This is going to happen. It's going to happen like this. You're going to start seeing this. This is going to be like this, and it's going to lead to this. Now, you, you make sure your hearts, your deep desires is not for all of that. Surfeiting, drunkenness. Well, I don't do that, so I'm free. Well, what's the next one say? And the what? The cares of this life, the rural cares. Things that you tend to spend a lot of time on, the big deal in your life, you worry about it. You get stressed out about it. You're very protective of it. I mean, you're really into something that's really vital to you. It's like the Lord said, you know, while some people are out there laughing, having fun, don't get bogged down and make treasures of this world your main thing. This world's going to pass away and everything that's in it. When you came into the world, you brought nothing into it, and it's for sure when you go out, all these toys you have, you can't take them with you. You're going to leave them here for your family to fight over. Just don't get bogged down in life. It ends so quickly. I mean, it comes suddenly. You never know when it's going to happen, but you do know that it's going to happen. You do know that there are signs that tell when the end comes, and there are more words in the Bible about how to prepare yourself for that so you can escape, as he said in the 36th verse. He said, pray you that are Christians. Pray always that you may be accounted worthy. I don't believe anybody is worthy of anything that God has. I think God chooses us to inherit it. And God adds worth to our lives because he has attached himself to us. We are still as unprofitable servants. No matter what we do, no matter what he leads us to do that gets accomplished in our lives, we're still unprofitable servants. But he said, you pray. You pray with all that's going on that you will be accounted worthy to escape all these things. Now, just a brief note about escape. Escape sounds pretty rapturous to me. Caught out. All that's going to come on the face of this earth, Jacob's trouble, they call it in the Old Testament. A time of terror to the world. Heavens and the earth and the sea. Everything is out of bounds and out of kilter and it's just a horrible time on this earth as God judges it. And he said, you pray that you'll be accounted worthy to escape this. I was in a church once with a fellow. He said he used to believe in the manifested son's doctrine. Now, they believe that they're not only going to be in the tribulation period, they believe they're going to cause it. And they're going to be the ones that are going to pull down everything in the world, make the world a place for God, and then Jesus will come after we've got it ready for him. And I said, woo, and then I said, we, woo-wee. I don't know if I can believe that, and I don't. But he believed that. He believed that uh, he was going to cause all of, all of these kind of things. But I said, you know what? I'm going to ride on the bottom of my shoes. See ya. Because I'm going to believe that I'm going to be caught up to meet him in the air. Because when Jesus comes back, initially he doesn't come back to this earth. He simply says, we're caught up to meet him in the air. And the Bible also says that not every eye shall see him. But then it also says when he comes back to the earth, every eye shall see him. They'll see him. They'll know then who he is. But initially when he comes back for his own, the ones who are watching for him, Ephesians 4, unto them who... Look for him, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now, back to this being sober and being watchful and paying attention to what God is telling us. Who really believes that Jesus is really coming back soon? Who in Christianity today really believes that Jesus is going to come back very soon? Not many. 
Because you look at their lives, it's just like in the days of Noah. He warned them, and they said, good, good, good. Good message, thank you. They went on their way. And they knew not until the end came and took them all away. Like a thief in the night, it's over. They'll be just snatched out of here. Some of them will be. See, I believe in the rapture. After nearly 50 years of this, I do believe in the rapture. And I want to be one of those that are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. I do want to escape what's coming in this world if I'm alive at this time. I don't think anybody's going to have a good time when the world is in great turmoil. I don't think anybody's going to stand out as a smooth talker. I mean, this is a terrible time on this earth. Well, like he said in verse 35, as a snare, this time is going to come on the whole earth, a snare. Caught you. You weren't paying attention. Caught you. And he said, you watch, therefore, and you pray always that you will be accounted worthy to escape. Because you see, if you don't escape, you'll be here. And if you're here, you won't like it. There's no place to hide, no place to run. It might be during this time that there'll be a tremendous famine in the whole world. Not of food, but of hearing the word of the Lord. Because that's the only thing, that's the only provision God has given for us to make it out of here on his terms. That's the only way we can do it. And people don't want that. If when they hear that, they're not really paying attention to it. They pay more attention to their watch than they do the message. What can they get out of it? And I think God sees our hearts. If he sees that we're not really paying attention, what's going to happen? Well, not much. So that brings us to the danger of slumber. The second thing, the danger of slumber. The danger is obvious. I've already mentioned some of this. You're not going to get anything out of what you're slumbering through. Or if you want to change the word slumber to another word, you're not going to get much out of any message in church that you're not interested in listening to. No matter how much God is in it, how much the Bible you quote, there are just certain subjects people are just not interested in. Charismatics, fundamentalists, evangelicals, non-anythings, it seems like in any given situation or identification of Christian people, it seems so common that after so many years in the same place, you kind of just get used to it and you begin to refer to it as the same old, same old. Or you get bored. Kind of get, you know, just, well, here we go again. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, yeah, here we go again. That quite often happens when you've had one preacher for all your life. I mean, is there a story I haven't told? Couple. You will never hear them. <laughs> is there a message that hasn't his name and personality on it? And yet, what we don't realize is no matter how often a message is repeated, God can include in any message, every message, something that you didn't get before. I've talked to people who have listened to messages on tape more than once or twice or three times and said, I heard that three or four times, but I heard it like the fifth time or maybe the fourth time and something I never thought of before came right off the tape. Could God do that? I'm not saying you have to listen to messages five times, but you have to listen because if you don't listen, you don't avail yourself to what God is giving I mean, if you don't want to hear what God has to say, it's like where we start in Hebrews 2, 3. If we neglect so great a salvation, how can we make it? I pray that God would forever, no matter who is preaching on the radio or wherever I choose to give my attention to, I pray that God will show me something through whoever it is. Now, some of them have to talk fast because I don't listen to some of them very long. I just know that God can speak to anybody who wants to hear. And God can cause revelation to come out of an old, same old. 
if you're willing to look for it and listen for it. And God can add something to your life you didn't have before, no matter how many times you've heard it or you think you've heard it. It's when you get complacent. It's when you begin to power down and throttle back and assume that you've got all of that and therefore I don't really need to bear down on this one. That's when you miss a nugget of truth that Jesus designed to make you free. I believe every time we meet as a church, I don't care who's preaching, I believe that every time we come in here to assemble, Wednesdays, Sundays, however often we meet, I believe there is an opportunity for those who are hungry and thirsty for the word of God, for God to speak to you because God will make you hear the word. You will not fall asleep if you hunger and thirst after his ways. You won't do it. But you just don't get much out of it because you weren't interested in it. And, you know, and you're not going to get convicted about things you don't remember, are you? What's going to convict you that you slumbered through? What kind of conviction comes? None. There's none. None at all. And you're not going to grow. How can you grow? The only way you grow is with food. God said his word is bread. If that's not what you're feasting on, but you're sort of, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not really listening. Like Mrs. Radulovich said to me one time, she said, you're not listening, are you? And I said, no, no ma'am, but if you say it again, I will. My wife says one of my traits, not necessarily good, but sometimes okay, is being able to tune things out. People sitting there talking to you, I have no clue what they said. Years ago, I'll admit it now because I don't know who you were. Somebody came up and was telling me something and, you know, after church and I could see people walking around, you know, and all that. So they told me something. I could tell they were, you know, really in earnest wanting me to hear it. So I got a few words, sentence here and a sentence there, and they finally got through it and said, so what do you think I should do? <clears throat> so what should I? Uh, now, this is hypocrisy. Now, I'm going to confess a fault, okay? I know you wouldn't do this, but I was thinking, I don't even know what you said. I don't even know what you said, let alone give you advice. How can I tell you what to do? Well, I don't know what you said. But I wasn't going to say that because of pride. You see, you're the preacher. You're the pastor. You're supposed to listen. And they were talking. I'm, I've got ears to hear, but I couldn't tell you what she said or he said or they said. <laughs> so in a hypocritical moment, I said, well, there are some things that only God is going to show you what to do. And I think that's what the closet's for. I say, well, once you go pray about this, you just you get along with the Lord, get your Bible, and see if you can find something that pertains to this situation and, and, and read it, and then sit down and pray about it, and then come back and we'll talk about it next week. Because next week when she shows, or when they show up, I'm going to listen. <laughs> see, we do that spiritually. We may not answer people like that, but... Spiritually, we hear what's being said. I know everybody in here. I can tell by looking at all your faces, you're listening to me. How much you retain, I don't know. That's your business. That's a matter of choice. How much will stay with you when you walk out of here? I have no idea. That's your business. How much of this do you feel like you really need or really need to hear? I have no idea. I know what's important to me, and if it's important to me, I want you to know that. And then I want you to deal with it. I mean, God's a judge, not me. The danger of slumber is that, especially when it comes to warfare, we can't win our battles. We can't deal with stress, with difficult decisions we have to make. About all we can do is cower, cave into fear, wish, wonder, hope, no faith. No certainty about what a Christian can do because we didn't pay attention to the word that told us what we can do. We sort of slumbered spiritually, just 
in a spirit of slumbering if you just didn't pay attention. Therefore, when the enemy comes in like a flood, we don't know how to fight him. We get on the phone and want our friends to fight him. Or we ask everybody to pray for us. We want other people to fight. We don't know how to fight because the sword of the spirit is the very word of God in Ephesians 6, which God said, that word I should hide in my heart because that's what the Holy Spirit will use to fight. The Holy Spirit comes to help us. I mean, he comes to help, to remind us, to tells us what to say, tells us what the word says, encourage you to stand. Don't, don't give up. Don't give in. Come on, stand there. That's his work so that you can overcome. We ought to preach on overcoming so we can overcome and not fail and not fall. Nobody who has listened to, paid attention to what God says in his word should ever fail. None of us. They say to err is human. It is. But as a Christian, we have a remedy for error. Therefore, we should not allow that in our life. It doesn't belong to us. But a spirit of slumber is a dangerous thing because you walk around really not into it, but you know you're not out of it. You're sort of in it, but you, you know. You're not getting much, but you're not exactly walking crazy either. Romans 11. What I want to read is a quote from Psalm 69, verses 22 and 23. But in Romans chapter 11, this is what Paul writes. Verse 7. Israel has not obtained that which she seeketh, but the election has obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Now, that's difficult for a liberal to entertain. It's difficult for, oh, boy, I was trying to leave politics alone, but allow me just one little ugly statement. It's difficult for those who are politically weak. Just cave in to whatever. Fear of this government, fear of terror, just afraid of what somebody's going to do, so you try to compromise it. There's that kind of thing in the church. We're afraid we're going to make somebody upset. We're afraid good information is going to upset somebody. So we leave the good information they need to hear, like the warnings, and we bring into our church that spirit of this age, which is comfort and happiness. Make them comfortable. Make them happy. Leave all this stuff out that causes us to wrestle and makes us wonder and causes debate and stuff. Just make everything smooth. Prophesy smooth things. Come on, man, take it easy. We got a lot of people. We don't want to lose them. Just take it easy. It's the age that we're in. So here's what God said. The end of verse 7 says, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, Eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear as it is unto this day. Let me ask you all a question. Is there such a thing in the Bible as a spirit of slumber? So it's something that the enemy has by which he can control, disarm, or defeat Christians. Would you agree? It's the working of a spirit. God doesn't want you to be slumbering. He wants you to be sober, alert, watchful, awake. But there are those in the church who really don't want to heed that. They don't want to be burdened with all of that kind of legalism and all that doctrine stuff. Listen to me, all of you. What about when slumber leads to true complacency? Eh, you know. I'm all right. I got enough. We've been told by, you know, speakers in the past, come by here, boy, you all have enough knowledge. Well, you've got enough. You don't need any more. So there's no need to try to get more, listen to more, gather in more. You got enough. You've been taught every week, twice a week for 30 years plus. You don't need any more, they say. So what happens when you don't want any more? 
truly. I was in a Christian church growing up in a, just a regular church in, in Charlestown, Indiana. I don't know when I ever, before I got saved, ever went to church wanting to hear about the Lord. That was not in my program. I went because I got used to going when I was a kid, and it was a decent, moral, socially proper thing to do, and I did it. And I don't remember much that was ever said because the preacher was trained in his school not to say things that would upset the apple cart. That's the way he was trained. Much of his seminary training had to do with psychology, mind games. You just sort of leave things alone because you kind of read people's minds and feelings. You don't want them to have to wrestle with overcoming or casting out devils or whatever it is in the Bible. That would bother people. You know, we're Methodists or Baptists or whatever, assemblies of God. We don't talk about those things much. Well, maybe we should. But you can't teach on it if people don't want to hear it. If you become dull of hearing, remember the Bible says that? Paul says it's hard to teach when you're dull of hearing. Paul said, I got stuff in me that I'd love to take, you know, three or four nights, three or four hours just to share this. It's so good. But he said, but I can't do it. I can't do it because you don't want to hear it. You don't like to retain God in your knowledge. It's just sort of you got other plans. You don't want the word of God to upset it. I don't know. But... In this verse of Romans 8, he said God gave to these people who weren't interested. He gave them a spirit of slumber. I think there's four or five places in Scripture where it says this, maybe six, where it is God, an act of God, something initiated by God to cause you to no longer be able to hear or, or comprehend what God is saying. That is a sentence of death. Did you know that? Didn't Jesus say they have ears to hear, but they can't hear? They have eyes to see, but they can't see. They can see naturally. They can hear naturally. They saw you preach. They heard what you said, but none of it registered. It had no meaning, no effect on your life because you were shut out. Can God do that? Would he do that? Why would he do that? These are questions when you read this. These are things you ought to ask yourself and stop what you're doing and answer those questions. Would God do that? Why would he do that? Would he do that to me? Would God give me a spirit of slumber if I don't want to see what he's saying or get into that or apply that to my life? Would he make it where I can't? Why did he speak in parables in Matthew 13? Go to Matthew 13, verse 10. And disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? They're scratching their head wondering, what in the world are you talking about? Listen to this. Jesus answered and said to them, because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it is not. Your Bible say that? Let me ask you a question then. Is it God and God alone who is able to give you understanding? And is it God who can keep you from understanding? And that may be that hard liberal pill to swallow. That's what it says. Let's go on. Verse 13, therefore speak I to them in parables because they seeing see not and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand, comprehend. And in them, verse 14, it is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, by hearing you shall hear, but shall not understand, and seeing you shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. That's the power of the word, and that's what it does when God directs it to your heart. If you don't want it in your heart, God directs it somewhere else.
And don't tell me that's not fair. It is fair. It's his word. It's his time. We have the great opportunity of coming to here. He drug you out of some dark hole in your life and brought you to hear the word. Saved you. Take advantage of it. Redeem the time. When God gives you an opportunity to hear the word, to talk about the word, think on the word, meditate, ponder the word, do it. Let this word become light so that what seems to be fuzzy becomes clear because that's going to get you through. This is what you can count on God to do. It's how you walk by faith. Faith comes by hearing. When you see what God says and you understand it, now you can trust it because it's clear. That's where we get our faith. And yet, the question Jesus asked about his coming, the second in return. He said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? Who will be active mentally and spiritually to get to what God is saying so that I can see that? Who will? Well, that's what he said. They are going to hear it, but they won't hear it. They're going to slumber. They'll be in a stupor, dull of hearing. Religious, very religious, very active, very religious, busy and all of that. But when it comes to the word and that hookup with God through his word, they have a suspended sense of sensibility, dull. It's not, I don't know what he said. What's he talking about? I remember once a father made sure that on Sunday nights, Sunday evenings, afternoon, they come in at night, he would set his children down. He had children that were growing, and he would set them down and say, what did you hear the preacher say today? And he told me a couple of times he was really kind of taken back that they don't have a clue what he said. Don't know what he was talking about. Can't remember a verse of scripture. He said, you know, if I'm their father, part of my job as a prophet and a priest in my home is to make sure I teach my children. I mean, I need to be taught and I need to make sure they're being taught. Sometimes they didn't get what was said. I need to explain it to them from home. We should all be apt to teach. Not everybody can because not everybody knows, but those who pay attention know they should be apt to teach. So he said, I began teaching. I began talking to him about it. I began saying, you know, you have to pay attention. We'll sit on the front row if we have to. But I want you to hear what is said. And I want you, when you're old enough to write and take notes, I want you to write down something significant, something special or different that you heard, just something, something. In that way, participate in what you heard by listening and trying to remember. Because... Finally, thirdly today, the cure for slumber is before us. It's with us. The cure for a slumbering soul is for a soul to be saved and to be changed. We've heard this before, this particular part, but I want you to turn to it again. I want you to go to Ezekiel 11. And I know you won't mind while you're in Ezekiel 11 to go to chapter 36 also. Ezekiel 11 and Ezekiel 36. Now in chapter 11, verse 19, these words, and I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within you and I will take the stony heart that didn't pay attention out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh, verse 20, that they may walk in my statutes Keep my ordinances and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. If somebody asks you the question, who will walk with the Lord and be claimed by God as his child? Those that keep and do his statutes. Is that right? Those who are doers of the word, heeders and doers. You know, some may heed and do quicker than others, but everybody has to be in the process, listening and heeding. And he said, those, he said, I will put a new heart and a new spirit 
in the ones that are going to do this. I'll remove all the obstacles of their past life and all the reasons they couldn't. I'm going to take it out. I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. And in chapter 36, he adds this to it. Verse 26. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause, C-A-U-S-E, cause you to walk in my statutes and to do them. Let me ask you all a question. What act of divine power keeps me walking right? It's God causing it. You see that? I can't cause it to happen. I got a role to play. I listen. I make application. I confess with my mouth and so forth. But it's God who's causing this to work. I think it's in 1 Peter 5 and verse 10. It says, after that you have suffered a while and done them, then God will perfect you. God will finish the work he started because he said he would. What he started, he'll finish. So you see, it's God that's doing this. We can't do it. But there's a time God approaches you. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared all men. All men will hear it. Well, even those that haven't heard it will know it. It's like in Romans chapter 1. There are those in the jungles. They never heard a message. But they had a moment in their life. They had that strange and unusual moment when they were captured by creation. Stars, mountains, streams, order. Things were in order. They couldn't explain it technically, but they knew it. Didn't know much about it except that there is a God who did this. And even God says they're without excuse too when it comes to sin. God makes sure that all men will hear the message of salvation. Not very many will embrace it. Well, many may start, but not many will finish. But only God can cause you to walk in his ways and keep his word. If you go back two books to the left to Jeremiah, that's pretty short. Jeremiah chapter 24 and verse 7. Listen to this. And I will give them a heart to know me. your Bible say that? Let me ask you something. How can we ever know God? God has to give us a heart to do that. If he doesn't give me a heart to know him, I can't know him. I may go to school and learn and study, make good grades, pass the course, be very eloquent, be very efficient in doing something Christian, but that does not mean that I know him. I know how to do things that pertain to him. It doesn't mean I know him. I may be very busy professionally doing what I'm doing and maybe helping a lot of people's lives. I've learned a system that people embrace. I've learned how to function in that system, how to make it work. But that doesn't mean that I personally know the Lord the way I should. I know what people want. I know how to give it to them. But I may not do it on God's terms because I have been taught how to do it on my terms. And it doesn't mean I know the Lord. Well, I wrote five books about God. That's good. You probably know a lot about the details about God. But how much of that is your life affected by it? Do you live what you believe? Do you really know him? Jesus said, if you know me, there'll be a way to know it. You'll be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. You fight compromise. You fight giving up. You fight comfort and happiness and all the things that your flesh wants. You learn to put your hands on the plow and keep them there because you know there's no other way. That's why 2 Peter 1 talks about through the knowledge of him, we partake through the knowledge of him, we do through the knowledge, 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 knowledge. We've got to know. If we're not coming together to learn and to know clearly, I don't know what's going to happen. But I know this. 
God says, I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. And they shall return unto me with their whole heart. All they are. This is the kind of people we're supposed to be. This is the way we should be identified. I don't care what church any of us were a part of or how good and effective it was and how much it helped you and me. It's now, how do I relate to God? How do I relate to what he says? Does my relationship to God make me hunger to know more about him? Am I aware of him? Do I believe him? Do I trust him? You see, the cure for slumber is God's anointing. It's God's anointing. It's what he does sovereignly to his people that causes this seeking first the kingdom to come out of. You can't seek first the kingdom unless God gives that. You can seek it academically. You can do that. And you study about the kingdom to pass the test, but not the way he wants you to. If you'll turn to Psalm 119, in verse 18, we'll commence, that means begin, to close. Go back to the left, a couple books, three or four. Psalms 119 and verse 18. Because this, again, is something that only God can do. The psalmist recognized that God is the one who does it. And if God doesn't do it, it won't happen to any of us. Open thou my eyes. Who's he talking to? The psalmist is talking to God, isn't he? Open thou my eyes. What is my need here? That I may behold wonderful or wondrous things out of thy law. Give me a taste and a hunger for that. Cause me to hear. Your loving kindness or a word means mercy. Cause me to hear your mercifulness in the morning. Teach me to do thy will. Give me life, quicken me, O Lord. For I lift my heart up to you. You call me. I sense you're in me. You're drawing me. You're stirring me. Make me hear what you're saying now. And make me hear it in such a way that I can say, I see it. Because that's the work of God in God's people. You can compliment busyness all you want to. You can compliment the bigger, better, brighter, more fancy, Elegant, efficient, technically proper, lighted, noisy church, all you want to. Crowds love to flock to that because somehow big means successful. And yet, success boils down to one thing. When it's over, will you be counted worthy to escape? Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. Cause your grace to follow us through life as a dear friend. Teach us to do your will. Quicken us, cause us, lead us, guide us, inform us, open our eyes. All these things that we attribute to what you do. None of these things can we do ourselves. All we can do is respond. That's the kind of grace I pray for all of us here in this church, those who listen and watch. You teach us to do right and to do well, to live in such a way that you are pleased with us. If there are those this morning that are here, Lord, whose hearts are troubled, who really want to be right with you, but since they've never been really right with you, I pray that grace will come full force into their hearts and will lead them to repentance and confession of sins and lead them to the throne for salvation. If you're here this morning 
while your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed, if you're here this morning and you need to make your peace with God, or that God is calling you today, today, this hour, that he wants you to be his, that you've been taking all this for granted all your life, just assuming on God. God will save you this morning. He'll draw you to him. He'll bring you right to his throne and grant you grace. If you need help, I'll be glad to pray with you. We as a church will pray with you if you want to do that. But today is a good day for salvation. Grant that soul the grace it takes, Lord, to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.